We are uh, studying in the book of 2 Kings, the uh, sixth chapter, and uh, we stopped at about verse uh, 29. I'm going to back up a little bit so we can get a running start into this again, back at verse 24. It says, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, now this is Aram and Israel, throughout this portion as we've been reading, they've been going back and forth at each other. One minute they're trying to kill each other, next minute they're being nice to each other. It's just very bizarre, psycho, crazy people. Anyway, so Ben-Hadad um, is, uh, has mobilized his entire army and marched up against uh, the king of Israel, laid siege to Samaria. And there was a great famine in the city, a famine obviously that uh, we'll see in a second that uh, Elijah had prophesied was going to come down, probably because of the sins of, of Israel and the king and... Um, so um, the famine was so great and the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter uh, of a cab of seed pods, which really is a dove's dung, a uh, bunch of bird caca sold for five shekels. You know, anybody knows, like, I like the NIV translation, but you know when it ever talks about anything weird or gross like that, they find some other way of saying stuff. I mean, I don't know who translated these, but these guys were a bunch of wusses, man. <laughs> Seriously, all the things. Every time there's anything that's sort of semi-gross, they find a real, you know, you know, these guys must have been all politicians or something that did this thing. I don't know. They didn't want to offend anybody. But uh, <clears throat> as you read all the little side things, you start to see, wait a minute, you know. Anyway, so things were bad. And, uh, and the king of Israel was passing by on the wall. A woman cried to him for, uh, and said, help me, my lord, the king. And the king said, well, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I help you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press? Then he asked her, okay, what's the matter? And then this incredibly gross story, which is where we left off. She answered, uh, this woman said to me, give up your son so we can eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and we ate him. Uh, the next day I said, okay, give up your son so we, we can eat him. But she had hidden him. So her complaint was, that's not fair. We ate my kid. Now we should eat her kid. And, and you would think, hopefully, that at least at some point, the second lady was protecting her son out of love. My guess is the second lady was protecting... Her kid, so she can eat him. I mean, this is really great. This is a severe famine. I think it was so bad they were all slowly starving to death. When you start eating your own children, uh, this is bad. I mean, this this is horrifying. Even though it's just a few verses here, this picture that we see is one of the most horrifying pictures of uh, of, of a siege that we see in the Bible, as the army was surrounding them and just slowly star starving them out. Uh, these guys would often build very big, you know, walls and stuff like that so the other army couldn't get in. Physically, they couldn't overpower it. And what they would do is they would surround it and cut off the water supply and just wait until it start, they starved them out. And that's what was happening here. Well, when the king heard the woman's words, he, he tore his robes. This is what uh, they did in the Old Testament. Eastern culture to this day are very dramatic. You'll see them mourning and they'll rip their clothing and stuff like that. So... Uh, um, it's just the way they react to things. And uh, 
And as he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body, and he said, may God, now, now this is where he's really ticked, and this is how we find out that it was connected to Elisha, because Elisha must have prophesied this. He said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So, he blames the whole thing on Elisha, instead of his own sins. You know, it's interesting, we, people don't like to look become responsible for their own actions they often don't like the results of their actions uh, but uh, they don't want to face that they had anything to do they're very quick to point at everybody else and point at other things and it's not my fault and it was this and if this hadn't happened da, 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 da. <clears throat> when in reality oftentimes what happens is uh, we get in a mess because of things that we have done and uh, we need to be able to own what we do when we do it wrong and be responsible for it. But uh, he didn't do that. He just blamed it on Elisha because Elisha must have prophesied this great famine. So he says, I am so t- I'm going to cut off this guy's head today. So now Elisha was sitting in his house and uh, some of the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a messenger ahead. But before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murder is sending someone to cut off my head? So, I mean, Elijah always knew what was going on. Prophetically, he had insight and stuff like that. So, right away, he says, you see how this guy's just trying to cut off my head today? They probably didn't know what he was talking about. Um, So, he said, look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it against him. Is not the sound of his master's footstep behind him? In other words, whoever he shows up, because it says he sent him on ahead, he says, just block him out. The king will be right behind him. I just want to talk to the king, basically. So while he's talking to him, the messenger came down for him, and then eventually the king shows up, and the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So he knew it was from the Lord, but he had prophesied it, and he's mad, and he wants to kill Elisha. Chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha said, listen, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And immediately now, Elisha changes his prophecy. And the siege and the famine is going to be lifted. He said, about this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So, <clears throat> different, you know, uh, ways of measuring value here. But basically what they were saying was, look, things were so bad, a donkey's head would go for $1,000 or $10,000, whatever else, and even a bunch of bird crap people would have to pay a, whole, a couple of hundred dollars for that and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden he prophesies and basically says, tomorrow, man, you'll be able to get a whole bunch of food for, you know, you know four bucks. So, or, or you can get a $5 foot long tomorrow. <laughs> or, or whatever. So anyway. So anyway, so he immediately changes. He says, this time tomorrow. Now this is how bad stuff is today. They're eating each other, eating their children. Things are, food is costing a fortune, even the worst of food, and the ickiest was costing a fortune. And he says, by tomorrow, you can get a $5 foot long. It's going to be really cheap. Everything's going to be very affordable. And the officer on whose, the, on whose arm the king was leaning, uh, I don't know why the king was leaning. I don't know if the, I don't think the king is really that old at this point. This is, by the way, this is uh, um, uh, Ahab's son, who took over after Ahab died. Uh, his mama, uh, What's her name? What? Say it loud. Jezebel, couldn't they? Thank you. 
I can hear Jezebel. Yes, Mom, Jezebel's still in the in the in the kingdom. We're gonna see she's still gonna get hers yet. So I don't know why he's leaning on me. He's just hanging out. Hey, buddy, I don't know what the deal is. I don't think he's old or anything. Anyway, he's holding, he's leaning onto this, and the guy who's the officer standing there when he hears this says, "Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? I mean." How is it even possible for it to be that much of a dramatic turnaround? And Elijah says, well, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Basically prophesying the guy's going to die. Man, don't mess with these prophets, man. These guys are like intense. So now, um, here's what happens. Now, there are four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, well, the famine's there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we're going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans. These are the guys who surrounded the area. And let's surrender to them. If they spare us, if, that's the, if, if there's a shot that they would spare us, then, then we'll live. But if they kill us, then we die. Who cares? We're going to die anyway. We stay here, we die, we go to the city, we die. Let's go to these other guys. If they kill us, so what? They're going to die anyway. Maybe, outside chance, they let us in and cut us some slack. Um, I, I, it was just a uh, very desperate move. You know, I can't imagine why they would let in someone with a bunch of uh, leprosy into their thing. You know, it wasn't like these are prime guys. They just, they just kill these guys. We don't want them around here. But they were desperate, and they said, well, you know, if there's an outside chance, if they spare us, great. Otherwise, we're going to die anyway. So the dust they got up, and for all practical purposes, we're, we're going to their death. They just thought, well, if we're going to die, let's go out and die doing something instead of sitting around here. So at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Aramaeans. Now, when they reached the edge of the camp, now I have to remember, they've been surrounded. All the, We don't know how long this took, but a huge siege, a long siege, everybody's... They're starving to death. They get to the edge of the camp, and nobody was there. <laughs> Hello. But what had happened is this. The Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. Ah! So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their houses and donkeys, and left the camp as it was, and ran for their lives. This entire army of the Arameans, who had laid this big siege, went running for their lives because God caused them to hallucinate, hearing of a big sound of an army coming. They didn't see anything. All they had to do was hear it, and they freaked. They were filled with fear, and uh, off they went running. Well, the men who had the leprosy reached the edge of the camp, and they entered one of the tents, and there's a bunch of food there. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to eat and drink. And then they carried away silver and gold and clothes, and they went off and hid them. <laughs> My precious. And they, they hide that. And then uh, they returned and entered another tent and some things from there and hid that also. And they're running around hiding stuff, you know, like a bunch of little chipmunks, man. <laughs> He's got, they're, taking, Ooh, they're just running around. And shit. Well, then at some point, it dawned on them, they said to each other, you know, what we're doing, this is not right. 
This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Everybody's back there starving to death, and these guys are enjoying the spoils of an entire army that just left. They dropped everything and left all the money, all the resources, all the food, the horses, everything is all there. And just these four lepers guys are just enjoying it all. So he said, look, if we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. I mean, God's going to punish us. There's no way this, this, this can happen. We've got to make this right. So let's go at once and report just to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went to the Aramean camp and, did, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. And the gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Well, the king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. Well, one of his officers answered, Well, have some men and take five of the horses that are left in the city. There weren't that many left. You can pretty much see that they were eating them. Uh, the, the, their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, uh, they will only be like all of the Israelites who are doomed, so let's send them out to find out what happened. In other words, you know, they're very fatalistic. Look, we're all going to die anyway. And I'm sure there had to be a lot of death at this point even going on. And uh, so let's send five guys out there. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to them? They're going to die. It's like the, the, the guys who went out there in the first place. Everybody's doomed. They're all headed for death. Death is knocking at the door. And uh, let's send them see what happens. So they selected two chariots with their horses. And the king sent them out. Uh, sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. Well, they followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. You can imagine the delirious joy. I mean, they just went stampeding out there. Uh, to take advantage of this food. And sure, sure enough, a seah of flour sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. So much abundance that the price of food dropped right through the floor. All of this happened within a 24-hour period. Um, well, now the king had put the officer, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, now the king had put the officer on whose arm he had leaned in charge of the gate. This is the guy who said, ah, how can God do that? Even if he opened all of heaven, this can't possibly happen. So the guys who said this, he's in charge of the gate. And all the people come running out to go get the food, and they trample him to death. Just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. Well, he didn't exactly say he'd be trampled to death, but he did say, you'll hear about it, uh, but you ain't going to eat any of it. <laughs> And he didn't. Got trampled. What a icky way to go. <laughs> like a bug. So it happened as the man of God had said to the king about the sign of tomorrow, see a flower will sell for a shekel, and two say as a barley will, uh, for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And the officer had said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord, and basically repeating the whole thing all over again, the floodgates of heaven, will this happen? The man of God said, you'll see with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. And this is exactly what happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. So they said it, and then he says it again. I don't know. They repeat themselves a lot. 
kind of like me. Um, and that was it. And that's the end of that whole event. Very, very, very amazing. You know, I'm not sure what the whole point of this is. Um, I suppose all kinds of different ways of looking at it, you know. Clearly, you don't want to get into a place of the judgment of God, that's for sure. Uh, when God would judge these people, he wasn't messing around. And he would warn them, 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 and he would warn them. And they would keep rebelling against God. And at some point, uh, you open yourself up for a whole lot of trouble. Uh, pay attention to what God says in your life. Pay attention to what God says in his word. Learn from his word. And, and by the way, you know, we probably don't have a whole lot of people here tonight that, that deal with this because the problem I'm about to share has to do with people who, you know, generally only come to church as barely as little as they can. Uh, they don't want to strain themselves, you know. But uh, their, their version of Christian, they don't really take God's word very seriously. I hear it all the time. You know, someone will come or I'll talk to them and they're doing something blatantly wrong, usually a big sexual sin. That seems to be the big plague in America today. People, that can't, for the love of God, can't keep their pants on. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we uh, seriously, we are in a sick culture. I don't think anybody really realizes how sick we are. Even people of faith are just poisoned by this nonsense. Do you realize we are spending billions and billions and billions of dollars in this country to find, hopefully, treatments and cures for diseases that would not exist if people would just keep their pants on? And the very idea of saying what I just said, you know, people would have faith. You can't, people can't stop. They're just like a bunch of cows and pigs and animals, you know. I mean, that's really what they literally think, and it's just insane. Anyway, so you talk to someone who's calling the name of Christ, and they're living righteously, and they, or, or living unrighteously, and you challenge them on it, and say, you know what you're doing is wrong. And they go, but, but I don't think it's wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Listen to me, all you other campuses too. God does not give a rat's butt what you think. He doesn't. He doesn't care what I think. I don't care what I think. Goodness gracious. I mean, it's the bizarrest thing. Thou shalt not steal. I just say, okay. Right? Thou shalt not kill. Okay. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay. Pretty clear stuff. What gets in people's heads? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, you know, I think that it's okay. Are you crazy? Well, I think, who cares what you think? I don't care what you think. God doesn't care what you think. You shouldn't care what you think. Seriously, people, all that matters is what God thinks. Remember, you're trying to please God. Now, if you're trying to please me, and I would love it if you all would do this all day long. But, uh, <clears throat> if you're trying to please me and make me happy, would you not try and find out something that I like? What I like, Mark likes certain things, Mark doesn't like certain things. You know, he might like some foods and not like other foods. Of course, my problem is I like all foods. But, uh, but you know, um, you don't bring me something I don't like. like for example, I, don't, I don't drink coffee. I'm, I'm wired enough without coffee. Uh, 
you know, but I like hot chocolate. Love hot chocolate, don't like coffee. So if you're going to try and impress me and be nice to me and please me, you don't bring me a cappuccino. So I'm going to bring Mark a cappuccino. Well, Mark doesn't like a cappuccino. You know, but, but I, I, I think it's okay. I like cappuccino. I don't see anything wrong with cappuccino. A lot of people like cappuccino. Well, guess what? Mark doesn't care. I don't care what you like. If I don't like it, right? If you're going to please me, you bring me what I like. Is this making any sense to anybody? Why people in their crazy little minds look at what God says and then they say, well, yeah, but I think it's okay. And I just wow, I, you know, you just want to take these people and give them swirlies. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Don't be so caught up in what you think. God doesn't care what you think. God doesn't care what I think. Again, I don't care what I think. I don't look at God's word and then go, well, I don't know if I, if I agree with that. There's people who think this way. They'll literally read the Bible and then they go, I don't know if I really agree with that. Are you crazy? Good grief. I, you know, I think people really think way too highly of themselves. You know, the Bible says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think with sober judgment. God, <laughs> oh, I don't think any wrong with it. Oh, I don't think any wrong with it. I know the Bible says that, but I think it's Good grief. Anyway, be careful. Please, God, do what God says in your life. People will come in and they'll complain that God doesn't bless them. And it doesn't take more than five minutes to find out they're doing all kinds of things God asks them not to do. And they see no connection between what they're doing and offending God and God not blessing them. You know what I'm saying? Like the couple came in to see me, you know, just fornicating their little brains out. I said, you know, Pastor, God's not blessing us. And you talk about God blessing people. And you talk about faith and really experiencing God's blessings and answering prayers. And we've been praying. And God's not, not blessing us. Why? I looked at him and said, well, because you're fornicating your brains out. And, oh, I know. I know you don't like that. But really, why do you suppose God isn't answering our prayers? <laughs> because you're fornicating your brains out. You think you're going to do something that God finds horribly offensive and he's going to keep blessing you? Are you delirious? And I'll never forget that. And this is several years ago. They stared at me like I dropped in from Mars. I got a dog at a new dish. And walked out just... Man. Don't mess with... Don't be... In, blatantly insulting God's word and God's standards because you think this, that, or the other. Craziest thing. The other good news uh, from this story that we see is no matter how bad your circumstances are today, it is possible, should God ordain it, it would completely change by this time tomorrow. I don't believe that. Well, then you'll be trampled to death. 
Not literally, but you know. I mean, come on. God can change anything, any circumstance. I know it seems like it's impossible. Impossible. I, I just can't overcome this horrible thing. Things will never change. You know, see what the devil wants to do is above all, he wants you to lose hope. And he wants you to lose heart. And he wants you to give up and just quit. You ever feel that? I mean, it doesn't take long being a Christian before you have days like that where you just, all the pressures of the world just wants you to give up and quit. Where do you think that's coming from? Right out of the pit of hell, man. He's trying to make your life miserable. And by the way, one of the reasons why some of y'all, all y'all, or some of y'all, like I'm from the South or something, uh, go through this thing of these huge amounts of attacks is because I think Satan can sense at some point he knows you will give up. If you have not settled in your mind that I will not yield, I will not surrender, the attacks will come big time in your life. You have got to settle. I am going to honor God. I am going to serve God. Have you ever noticed that some people in their lives, they're constantly under oppression and attack at every, at every turn? And other people are just happy. Everything, they, they don't experience this. I mean, everybody has some trials and temptations from time to time. But some people, it seems like they never get hardly any. And other people are constantly bearing the weight of the world on their shoulders. I don't know. How I'm going to make it? I just don't know. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Everything's horrible for them. It's always horrible. They're always struggling. They're always, you know, and, and while we would encourage you and pray with you, listen, part of the problem is you eventually give up. You tend to surrender. You tend to ah, forget it. As long as, if there is so much of the smell of surrender on you, I'm telling you, the gates of hell will hammer you, will absolutely hammer you. If there's one thing, you, you have got to get strong and determine, I am going to serve God, I am going to honor God, I will not quit. I might stumble, I might have problems, I might have bad days, but I will not yield. I will not yield. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Very strange verse of scripture in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven suffer violence, but the violence, he's not talking about people running around shooting people and killing people and punching people in the face, but he's just talking that attitude of I will not yield. I will not give up. I'm going to keep on going. That smell the devil hates. And people who carry that attitude with them, these are the ones who generally live a much more free life. They're not constantly being attacked and the, the life force being sucked out of them because they have made a determination, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve God. We're going to do the right thing. Like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but as far as me and my house, we're serving God. These are the people 
who have a bounce in their step. These are the people who continue to smile no matter the circumstances. These are the people who rarely, it seems, are under attack and life is constantly sucking away at their brains. It's those who constantly keep amongst themselves the attitude of, oh, if I just don't get there, I don't know if I can keep doing this, I don't know if I can make it, I don't know. Watch what you say. Don't say those things. Quit talking like that. I don't think I can take this. The people, as soon as you say, I don't think I can take it anymore. It's like blood in the water to a shark. I don't know, how far away can a shark smell blood in the water? I mean, it's, it's really, it's, how many far? It's in like miles? How do you smell through water in the first place? <laughs> what is that about? Strangest thing. For miles? Blood? For miles. They, they're going along. You might be miles away and you're bleeding. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> That's what you do to the forces of hell when you start letting words out of your mouth like, I don't think I can take it anymore. I don't think I can hang in there anymore. I don't think I can resist this temptation anymore. I don't think I can keep doing the right thing anymore. I don't think I can be married to this idiot anymore. I don't think I can stand these children anymore. I don't think I can stomach that stupid pastor anymore. <laughs> the minute you start saying, I don't think I can do it anymore, I just, <laughs> man, I'm telling you, there's demons riding up and down Humboldt Road. As soon as you go by and they, you start thinking like that, you go, hmm, hmm, what is that? What is that? Somebody, somebody's tired. Somebody's bleeding. Somebody's ready to give up. You need to make a determination. You don't talk those ways. You know what Satan hates? People who say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Things may be impossible with man, but nothing is impossible with God. This kind of attitude. He doesn't like that smell. That's like Hoshi Mama. Hoochie mama to the devil. He avoids people like that. What he's looking for is the smell of fear, the smell of despair, the smell of worry, the smell that I can't take it. I don't, I just can't take it. I just can't take it anymore. No, 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 no. You can take it. No, Pastor, I can't. I don't know how, to, how can I possibly take it anymore? I'll tell you how. Because by this time tomorrow, God can turn this thing around. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And we're done. <laughs>